Hey there, folks. Before we begin, think to yourself. Have you listened to something new lately? Because on the Simply Scary Podcast Network, there is always something new to try. Don't miss the latest episode of Horror Hill with Eric Peabody, airing on Thursdays. And, of course, don't forget Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Fear from the Heartland with Paul J. McSorley, and Drew Blood's Dark Tales. You can find them all at simplyscarypodcast.com, on YouTube, or your favorite podcasting service. Or be sure to visit the chillingtalesfordarknights.com website and become a patron and hear extended episodes from our vast audio archive. Join us for a while, won't you? <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 13, Episode 7. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Dominic Eagle. Tonight, we'll hear stories of canyon-needing caution, doorways of darkness, a hotel of hallways, and plants of peril. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the tear, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail... So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Grand Canyon is known to most as a gigantic hole in the ground carved by many, many, many years of river activity into a majestic expanse that couldn't possibly be that hard to find your way out of. Still, and all, it has its secrets, and sometimes even passages and caves deep within the rock walls. Trouble is, what do you do when a passage that wasn't there before opens up into something less than normal? Without further ado, I present to you Undertunnels. During my years as a park ranger, I encountered things that would terrify the most tenacious tracker. However, nothing on God's earth has ever given me as much a cause for existential dread as the undertunnels of the Grand Canyon. Those treacherous tunnels were not carved by human hands, and they certainly were not intended for human eyes. I've heard so many tales of uncovered underground passages in the Grand Canyon It's not a new concept. There's a difference between a hidden passage and the undertunnels. I probably should have left this place long ago, but I think I'm too afraid. Like Pandora's box, when certain things have been learned, uh, they cannot be unlearned. I feel I have an obligation to stay here until my dying day. Besides, no matter how far I might be able to run, it would never be far enough. Might be undertunnels beneath all places. I don't actually work as a ranger anymore, but I like to say that I still perform a service to the park because I frequent the bars and other hospitality attractions in the area. I keep an eye and an ear on things. I still hear awful tales. That's how I know I'm not alone. I know there are others who have seen what I saw several years ago. Look, I'm not trying to deter you from coming here. I'm simply saying that you shouldn't ever seek the horrors that hide in the hovels of the Grand Canyon. That only applies to those of you who explore the gorge itself. If you simply want to admire vibrant vistas atop the edges of the canyon, then go for it. Book a tour. It's well worth the experience. But I would strongly advise against exploring what lies in its depths. Most people never stumble upon an entrance to the undertunnels. Why would you take the chance? I hope you'll respect my privacy, and that's why I'm going to refer to myself by the nickname that my youngest daughter, Eliza, bestowed upon me. Mr. Danger, the park ranger. And he goes on adventures with his sidekick. Ms. Sunshine the Porcupine. 
Eliza loves her porcupine costume. I've always marveled at my daughter's boundless creativity. My wife, Riley, on the other hand, prefers that we stick to jollier topics. Why do you fill her head with the idea that you once had such a terrifying job, Riley asked. Because life as a financial advisor is so dull in comparison, I replied. Boo! Boring! Eliza groaned, making a farting noise. Exactly what I want to say to my boss every day, I said. Before any of you start panicking that I've been traumatizing my ten-year-old daughter with detailed accounts of horrifying things that happened to me, I only tell ghost stories. Never anything real. Stories of trolls in the rocks and alien visitors. Perhaps it helps me deal with my trauma to create fictional horror stories. Can I tell a spooky story next? Eliza asked. I grinned and said, Go for it, Miss Sunshine. It's the story of a witch who once... Eliza began. No witches, I firmly stated. And after that conversation earlier this evening, I was forced to relive the most haunting night of my entire life. The night I spent in the belly of the Grand Canyon, tirelessly hunting for two teenage girls who had gone missing. I hoped and prayed for an easy search and rescue job. I feared that I'd find two injured spelunkers in some hard-to-reach crevice. That was my worst-case scenario. I had no concept of the real worst-case scenario. Traversing the rocky terrain of the colossal chasm that spans Grand Canyon National Park, I found myself looking up at the wondrous walls that rose like earthly skyscrapers above me. At first, I felt soothed and comforted by their presence. However, as the heat began to set and my flashlight became my new guide, those canyon walls shapeshift into something far more insidious. They no longer felt like warm blankets. They felt like the walls of my coffin. My harrowing thoughts were interrupted by the fluttering wings of a crow that circled above me. I ignored the creature, pressing onwards, but I could feel its black eyes boring into the crown of my head. It was watching me as I walked. When I was a park ranger, I liked to think of myself as a man who had a strong affinity with all animals. That cawing crow evoked a frightful feeling in my heart. Even as a whippersnapper on the job and one who, at that point in my life, hadn't personally experienced anything terrible, my animal instinct was well honed. Come on, Mr. Danger, I told myself. You're not about to be bested by a crow, are you? What would Miss Sunshine say if she could see you now? I clutched my light tightly in my right hand and started waving it around in a manic, frantic motion, attempting to shoo the bird away. At that moment, I was startled by the sudden sound of footsteps from the darkness ahead of me. With lightning-fast reflexes, I shone the light in the direction of the sound. Somebody emerged from the side of a rock, and their flashlight came into view. Easy, it's me, Jack cried. I thought you might want to... Some help with the search. Any luck? I've found something quite promising. Jack, as I've named him for the purpose of this story, was a fellow park ranger. He was a wizened old fellow, and I always viewed him as a second father figure. He was a little old, and his jokes often elicited eye rolls. 
but I'd never been so relieved to see his goofy grin. And still trembling, my light erratically danced and darted across the rocks between us. No sign of them. You scared the absolute crap out of me, Jack. I sighed. It's a good thing I wore my brown trousers. Jack laughed and beckoned for me to follow him. So, uh, what's your promising find, I asked. Well, let's just say we should be home and putting our feet up in no time at all. I think I've found the cave system that the girls must have explored, he explained, leading the way. It's not one that I recognize, truth be told, but I suppose I might be forgetful in my old age. Anyway, I almost am certain they entered it. There was a campfire by the entrance. Recently burned out. Must be them. Damn it, I groaned. Last thing I want to do at nine o'clock on a Saturday evening is fish out some dumb, unprepared, injured kids out of a cave. How better than fishing for some dumb, unprepared, dead kids out of a cave, eh? Jack pointed out. Let's hope your version of events ends up being the real one. I solemnly nodded my head, thinking of the countless lives that had been lost in that canyon. Whenever I had a cause to moan or groan, I reminded myself of why I'd taken that job. I reminded myself of the people I was trying to protect. It was on nights like those that a ranger had to prove their worth. I prayed that we would find two live hikers. Huh? Jack said. What? I asked. As we rounded a tall stack of rocks, my friend scratched his chin thoughtfully, casting his light onto a smoldering pile of sticks. I was looking at the burnt-out campfire, as promised. There was no sign of the mysterious cave entrance. Just a solid canyon wall, as there'd been there, always in that spot, as far as I could recall. I was certain that Jack, who was thirty years my senior, started to lose his marbles. But none of the park rangers had the heart to tell him to hang up the hat. It was what he loved. The park was the thing that kept him alive. I know you're going to laugh, Jack sighed. But I'm telling you that there was a cave entrance right in that very spot, kiddo. I mean, I was right about the campfire, wasn't I? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wasn't going to accuse you of lying, Jack, I replied. It's dark and neither of us can see anything out here. Even with these flashlights, the human mind's a fickle thing. It loves to play tricks, you know that. But let's not despair. We must be on the right track. You're right about that. The campfire is a good sign. Yeah, I suppose you're up. Jack stopped, looking to the side of my head. What? I asked. He chuckled. Something on your shoulder, partner. I swiveled my head to the left and screamed. There, staring back at me with the hollow eyes, was the black crow that had been stalking me. It was silently perching on my shoulder. I hadn't even felt it there. It hadn't so much as made a sound or moved in my field of vision. It was a gaunt, ghostly statue posing with such stillness that it might as well have been a taxidermy bird. Jack cackled until he wheezed and spluttered. He continued to be of no use whatsoever while I flailed around in a mad panic trying to release the creature from my shoulder. Eventually, thankfully, it flew away. To my park ranger friend, it was an amusing incident. To me, it was something much worse. I didn't like the entire situation. Disappearing cave entrance, the eerily serene bird. None of it. Not one bit. As I said, I've got good instincts. I don't fear animals, for the record. I never have. I care deeply even for nature's most ominous and overlooked creatures. Crows have never bothered me before that fateful night. But that crow was like none I'd ever seen before. I didn't know what was wrong with it, but I knew that the mere sight of it filled me with immense horror. It was dangerous. I'm not talking about the fun and mischief that Mr. Danger and Miss Sunshine love. This was real danger. Danger that I'd forgotten all about until Eliza reminded me of something that had been hiding in the darkened recesses of my fractured, forlorn mind. Wait, Jack. It moved. Suddenly, my park ranger friend was sprinting past me, so I turned to see what had stirred him, and then I saw it canyon wall opposite the one we'd been facing, there was a cave entrance. It was one I was certain I'd never seen before in that area. That made me truly start to question everything. Maybe Jack hadn't lost his marbles. That could only mean something more unsettling was happening. Either we were both incompetent park rangers, or something unnatural had happened. Jack, I started. Let's just talk about this for a moment. Jack had already reached the mouth of the cave, and he was jubilantly dancing at the entrance. Before I even had a chance to talk about the horrible feeling in the center of my chest, I spotted something that snapped me out of my feverish stupor. Jack, I warned him. Wolf! Jack immediately stopped dancing in the entrance, cast his flashlight on a large gray wolf that was slinking towards him. It didn't growl didn't make a sound, in fact. 
simply took long, purposeful strides toward my frozen friend. Easy, buddy, Jack calmly said. I don't have any treats for you. I'm not as tasty as I look, I promise. Now, ordinarily I'd scare you off with rubber bullets, but I'm a little unprepared this evening, I have to admit. So uh, I'm warning you not to get too close. Otherwise, you'll get the butt of the flashlight. Jack, I said, speaking with the same air of calmness. Keep your cool. I've been doing this a lot longer than you, kid. Don't worry about... The wolf moved abnormally quickly, bouncing towards Jack, slammed his flashlight into the animal's face. The creature, along with Jack's light, went flying to the ground. He did not whimper or even falter for more than a second. It was calm. Too calm. The wolf simply clambered back to its feet, and eyeballed a now lightless Jack. I shone my own beam onto the cave entrance, illuminating my defenseless friend and the wolf that had started to prowl toward him once again. Jack, just let me, I started. I have to head into the cave, Jack cried. In a flash, my reckless ranger companion had sprinted into the cave. The darkness swallowed him and the wolf that was hot in his tail. I ran after the pair of them, lighting the way with my shaky flashlight. Entering the passage through the canyon wall, I tried to focus all of my attention on Jack and the wolf, who were already out of sight in the labyrinth of tunnels, but I couldn't help fixating on the peculiar noises that engulfed me. Rocks were shifting as if the canyon were continuously reshuffling and restructuring itself. Jack! I screeched. I tumbled through a hole and cut my elbows on a rocky slope that led down to a sprawling, cavernous opening. scrambled to my feet and quickly picked up my light, fearing what I might see in the center of the underground space. I expected to see the wolf tearing my friend limb from limb. What I actually saw was far worse because it couldn't be explained. Jack was there, but he wasn't facing a wolf. He was facing something indescribably horrible. A gangly creature towered over him, skin like a decaying corpse and limbs twice as long as those of any human. It was a monstrously magnified version of a person. No, not a person. A witch. A skinwalker, as Native Americans would no doubt call it. The stuff of legends. A monster that I'd only ever seen in frightening fables, not something real. And yet my eyes were teaching and telling me a different truth. I could see the thing with my own eyes, the thing that goes by so many different names in so many different places. Still, no matter what name it's given, everybody agrees that it is an unholy thing, an abomination not meant for our world, death incarnate. Jack! I near soundlessly gasped. My friend began to levitate his writhing body's ascension, orchestrated by the gnarled, brittled fingers of the inhuman thing before it. The witch, a silent and serene puppeteer, continued to raise her hand. Utilizing some unseen evil force, she moved my wriggling friend higher and higher into the air, watching his illuminated form in my flashlight. The creature was as still and unwavering as the crow and the wolf. That was when I pieced the parts of the puzzle together. I remembered the feeling of being stalked by the crow, 
those beastly black eyes. A sudden snapping sound broke me out of my disturbing daydream, instead thrusting me into a much more deeply disturbing taste of reality. Jack released the screen that ricocheted off the walls of the enclosed space as his legs bent the wrong way. The bones broke one by one and protruded from the back of his knees as his calves were pulled up to his waist. His jaw started to droop. I realized that he was moments away from losing consciousness. As morbid as it sounds, I prayed that he'd faint. I prayed that he would not be conscious during his own painful demise. As the witch began to snap his arms inwards and contort his body into a box shape, my friend's head finally lulled forwards. Looking at his mangled, compressed form, I realized that he wasn't unconscious. He was dead. At that moment, the rocks on one of the walls crumbled away, revealing a stack of boxes and, surprisingly, a red wooden door. As the witch opened one of the boxes and began to crumble my friend's mangled, desecrated carcass into it, I crept around the back of her. She busied herself with the act of packing her latest victim into a wooden gold-lined treasure box, and she didn't seem to notice the flashlight that was moving around her as I inched closer and closer to the red door in the far wall. Stealthily, I made it across the cave, placed my hand on the door handle. The creature screeched. In a blind panic, I swung the door open and closed it behind me. To my utter surprise, I was facing a long, unlit tunnel, a tunnel constructed of red bricks on the walls, floors, and ceiling, the real under-tunnels. This was more than just a cave system. It was, I realized, the witch's lair. There was no way I could survive by going backward, so I had to push forwards. Lighting the way with my flashlight, I ran blindly through the unlit red brick tunnel, not knowing what I might find around every bend. Suddenly, there were multiple forking passageways. I had no idea which way to go. I just knew that I heard the red door open behind me and heard the slow, steady, still, serene padding footsteps of the thing that had brutally massacred Jack. Help! The voice cried from a tunnel to my left, so I immediately followed the sound. Cowering at the dead-end fork of the tunnel was a girl. She must have been 18 or 19, fully kitted out in hiking gear, coated from head to toe in blood. It didn't look like hers. Oh, thank God, she whimpered. We have to get out of here. That thing is coming for us. Uh, where's your friend? I asked. The girl's lip trembled. Oh, Alicia? She's, she's gone. Alicia, so you're Daniela, right? I asked. She nodded. I'm sorry about your friend, Daniela. I lost someone, too, but we're going to make it out of here, I promise. I think we should go back to the red door, Daniela said. We know the way back from there. I shook my head, helping Daniela to her feet, and pointed a finger to my ear, indicating for her to listen. I was trying to show the girl that it wasn't safe to go back the way we came. But I couldn't hear the witch's padded footsteps anymore. I suddenly realized that not hearing her was far worse. Where was she? What? Daniela asked. I don't hear her. Doesn't mean she's not here. Come on, I said. 
I led a begrudging Daniela farther into the depths of the tunnel, shaking as we rounded every corner. Every time I saw the coast was clear, it was both a relief and a fright. Not knowing where she might be hiding was a horror like no other. And then, from the depths of the brick tunnels, we heard a sound. Crying. It's a trick, Daniela protested. Don't go towards it. Sounds like a girl, I said. Maybe Alicia's still alive. I followed the sound of the crying, thankful for the fact that the tunnel no longer seemed to be forming off in different directions. I was relatively certain that it was more of an interconnected circuit of tunnels rather than a maze. All roads would have led me to the same place eventually. A wooden, colorless door. There was crying on the other side. Danielle sobbed and said, Don't go in there. I ignored her, motivated by my sense of duty and perhaps a smidge of stupidity. I burst through the door and found myself in a cavern much larger than the last one. And thankfully, there was a cave entrance at the far side. I could see the outside world. It was a horribly dark night, but it looked like a glowing beacon of hope. Anything was lighter than the hellish undertunnels of the witch. Casting the light around the cave, I eventually found Alicia pinned down by rocks on her arms, tauntingly close to freedom. She was staring blankly ahead, bawling her eyes out. When she saw my flashlight, she screamed, Help! Alicia wailed, I'm trapped! Definitely felt but I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if I hadn't tried. Moreover, yet again, my instinct was telling me that I was looking at Alicia. It wasn't the witch. I could just feel it in my bones. I darted over to the girl and heaved the rocks from her arms. There were cuts and bruises along her lim limbs, so I hoisted Alicia to her feet. She screeched when she saw Daniela. Get her away from me, Alicia cried. Alicia, Daniela replied, it's me. Alicia shook her head and gently nodded at the far wall of the cave. I turned my head to see what the girl had been eyeballing when I first entered the cavernous room. I was horrified to see a girl's body on the ground, lifeless and twisted into an unimaginable shape. Not just any girl, Daniela. There were two of them. As I turned my flashlight back to Daniela, who just followed me from the undertunnels, she nonchalantly threw a smile our way. And yet, as calm as she may have been, it was the most unhinged and malicious smile I've ever seen. Alicia and I slowly back toward the cave exit, watching as the fake Daniela started to grow in height. Her limbs started to elongate and her hair fell out. Within seconds, I was staring at the horrific creature that had crushed my friend alive. Run! I screamed. As we sprinted for the exit, it began to close. The rocks shifted around it, slowly shrinking the hole that was our only path of freedom. With seconds to spare, Alicia dived through the opening and I followed. Turning to face the closing hole, I caught one final glimpse of the inhuman creature before it was entombed in the wall of the Grand Canyon. I've never told anyone that tale. I was a park ranger for many years after that. If anything, understanding that such things existed was my reason for continuing. There are other reasons that I eventually abandoned that line of service. 
But my duty has never really died. And when Eliza reminded me of witches, I realized it was time to finally tell my story. You may or may not choose to believe me. None of that matters. But please, I beg you, do not enter the under-tunnels of the Grand Canyon. I hope you enjoyed Undertunnels by Dominic Eagle, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash eagle. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash E-A-G-L-E. The easiest way to view his prolific body of work is to visit his Reddit page, where he writes under the name banner of The Eagle Strikes. All one word, of course. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. I'd watch my back if I was him, you know. Witches don't always work alone. What if that one survivor is just playing the long game? It's possible. Believe me, I have some acquaintances who'd say the same thing after their exes. But away from the wilderness to the heart of civilization, where a man has discovered a strange new door in his house. And though at first no one believes him, it doesn't take long before what he's discovered turns out to be true, leads to greater dangers. Without further ado, I present to you the new room. A new room just appeared in my house. Yeah, you read that correctly. Yesterday morning, I stepped out of my bedroom to find a perturbing door at the far end of my upstairs landing. The festering woodwork coated in a layer of peeling purple paint did not horrify me. What horrified me was that I had lived at the property for five years, and there had never previously been a door at the end of the corridor. Even from a distance, I could tell that the ghastly gateway was more than a propped-up plank of wood. It was flush against the outer wall of the house. I strolled outside my property and skirted around to the side alley. The right-hand wall of my home was still flat. There was no extensions to the original brickwork. The purple doorway couldn't be leading to anything. Behind it, I knew there couldn't be anything but the plaster of my wall. But I'm a firm believer in not fiddling with the unknown. I've watched enough horror films to know that I should listen to my preservation instinct rather than my curiosity. And that's why I rang my wife. Well, ex-wife. What do you want, Ethan? Hannah asked, sighing. Something weird just happened in the house. There's a door, I said. What is this really about, Ethan? I told you that you couldn't keep doing this. Uh, Sorry, let me explain, I pleaded. There's a door at the end of my hallway that wasn't there last night. I've never seen it before. Are you drunk again? Hannah asked. It's ten in the morning. Not drunk, I insisted. I haven't had a drink in weeks. I just... I really care about you, Ethan, Hannah interrupted. You know I do, and I'll always love you. It was never about that. 
I just couldn't watch you slowly kill yourself. There was a muffled voice at the other end of the line, and that was when I realized my daughter Kate must be at her mother's house. I could vaguely hear the two of them bickering, and then my daughter snatched the phone from Hannah. Hey, Dad, she cheerfully said. Hi, I replied. Sorry to interrupt. I didn't realize you were visiting Mom. I booked some time off work. I need to get away from Rye, from London. Plus, I missed you guys. I was going to come and surprise you tomorrow, but I guess the cat's out of the bag now, she chuckled. I smiled, ignoring the real reason she needed to get away. Oh, that's sweet of you. Worried about your frail elderly parents? Elderly? You're 54, she snorted. That's the new 44, I guess. Anyway, what are you and Mom arguing about? What happened at the house? Oh, nothing, I mumbled. It's nothing, I promise. You sounded agitated, Kate pressed. I could hear your voice from the other room. You're going to think I've gone senile, I sighed. And though, like you said, I'm not an old man yet. Go on, Kate said. I cleared my throat. Well, something weird happened this morning. I'm standing on the landing right now, facing a purple door that never used to be there. Kate paused. And you've not been, you know, I've not been drinking, I assured her. I'm going to come over early, Dad, Kate said. I'm worried about you now. When my daughter arrived, she seemed utterly perplexed by the rotten purple door at the end of the upstairs landing. I think she expected to turn up and prove that it had simply been a drunken delusion. But I was no inebriated fool. Kate saw the door there as plainly as day. I mean, obviously, I've never lived here, and I don't visit as often as I should. But I'm certain I've never seen that door before, she called. You're not teasing me, right? That would really be mean. I'm not teasing you, I insisted. Good, Kate huffed. I've not had a fun week, Dad. Yeah, I know you were really just running away from Ryan. Want me to rough him up? I asked. Kate smiled at me, knowing full well that I was incapable of roughing up anyone. She shook her head, and then she did the darndest thing. Without a word, as if she had no survival instincts whatsoever, she walked toward the door. Of course, Kate didn't believe in the supernatural, but she would. Wait, what are you doing? I asked. It look like I'm doing, Kate scoffed. We're not going to get any answers until we open it. Please don't, I said. I lunged her after her, but my daughter was far too nimble. She'd already reached the door and twisted its loose, squeaky brass handle. As the purple gateway opened, I trembled. The door didn't lead to my wall. There was a room back there, a room I didn't recognize. But this is the far wall of the house, Kate whispered. How could there be a room back there? She stepped inside and I followed. To my surprise, I found myself facing a rather uninspired, banal bedroom. Cream-colored walls, a single bed with nothing but a damp mattress, an old oak wardrobe, and a chest of drawers. The bedroom window, a slim, wide slit that scarcely allowed any light into the dim room, looked onto my street from an oddly low level. Then again, why should I have expected anything to make sense? What is this place? I wondered aloud. 
Kate was already hunting for an answer to that question. As she neared the wardrobe, we both froze at the sudden creaking sound. My heart, like a caged animal, began to frantically bang against the brittle bars of my ribcage. Don't do it, I begged. Kate ignored me and threw the doors open. She hesitated for a moment, then released a relieved laugh. I strolled over and saw that the wardrobe, much like the rest of the room, was mostly empty. All that hung there was a red leather jacket. I'm actually a little glad to find nothing significant in this paranormal place, I said, untying the stubborn knot in my chest. Don't you want an answer? Kate replied. I shrugged. Some things in this world defy reason. You know I saw Grandma's ghost when I was a boy. You think you did, but everything has a rational explanation, Kate said. Even this... Let's just go back to your start. Before I could finish my sentence, a rumbling noise erupted behind us. We turned to see the door, our only exit out of the room, slowly slide into the floor, shortening with every passing moment. And then, with sinister synchronicity, ghastly groaning sound emitted from the chest of drawers beneath the bedroom window. The top drawer started open, and I gripped my daughter's shoulders. Uh, we're not waiting around to be trapped in here, I said. Get to the door, now! Kate reverted back to an innocent, vulnerable girl. She actually listened to me and sprinted for the ever-shrinking doorway. My daughter, Commando, crawled through the minuscule opening, and I heard the horrifying sound of bending wood from the chest of drawers. Turning to meet my doom, I shrieked at the sight of a crying contortionist. A young woman, older than my daughter, was sitting upright in the top drawer of the chest, snapping her ghoulish limbs into shape. I have no idea how she confined herself to that space, but I can only assume she wasn't alive, not anymore. The woman, dressed in a damp yellow floral dress, clambered out of the drawer. Supporting herself with her hand, she landed on the carpet and twisted her legs into shape, hoisting the rest of her body out of the drawer. Her incessant sobbing transformed into frightening frothing as she laid her glazed-over eyes upon through the matted, greasy strands of her waist-length hair, I could see the woman's hatred. The undead and unkempt apparition didn't know me, but her face said otherwise. You! She hauntingly hissed. I wailed, almost certain that death had come to reap my soul. Penance for years of bludgeoning my body and mind with liquor. But a hand extended through the rapidly shortening doorway. Take my hand! My daughter cried. I dropped to the floor, scrambling to squeeze my body through the doorway, which must have only been about two feet tall at that point, and started to emerge onto my familiar upstairs landing. I'd almost wrenched my final leg free, but the ghoulish woman suddenly seized my ankle and unleashed a victorious growl. I screamed, striving to escape the demon, and the doorframe threatening to crush my leg. Terrence, save me! The ghostly woman screeched. I managed to free my leg and slide through the doorway before it fully melted into the carpet. And the room vanished. We've talked about Terrence before, Kate eventually said. I nodded. 
Terrence Brown. Your mom and I called him Brown the Clown. Always making people laugh. I often see him in the local cafe. Well, I think you need to pay him a visit tomorrow, Kate said. Right now, I need some food and a drink. I agreed to phone Terrence in the morning, but part of me prayed that the horror of the appearing and disappearing room had come to a terrifying end. No such luck. This morning I woke to Kate's piercing scream. Before I even stepped onto the landing, I knew the door had returned. So I immediately rang Terrence Brown. The man graciously agreed to meet me in town and explain things. There was something he said shouldn't really be discussed over the phone. I suppose I should have pulled you aside for this chat five years ago, Terrence sighed. Truth is, I used to live in your place. The graying, middle-aged man scooped up his mug of coffee with two unsteady hands. He concealed his pale, fearful face in the steam plume erupting from the drink as he greedily lapped up the liquid. We were the only morning customers at the local cafe. The shop's atmosphere was uncharacteristically still and somber. Why'd you never tell me, I asked. We've talked in here so many times. Usually you can't stop talking. Terrence sheepishly scratched the nape of his neck, inverting my gaze. The noncommittal disposition of an often jolly town resident was filling me with deadening dread. I'd hoped Terrence would be my savior. After all, wasn't that what the abomination had said? Terrence, save me. Something happened that prompted my move away from that house, he said. I had a wife, Molly. She was a deeply disturbed individual battling demons. I tried to help her with her mental illness, but she was never the same after she tried to end things. Terrence paused to dab a solitary tear trickling down his cheek. And then one day, seven years ago, she left, vanished without a trace. Nobody's seen her since. Pray that she's safe out there. Consoled the man whilst he sobbed profusely, and he offered me a meek smile clutching at a glimmer of his usual jovial self. I'm sorry for dumping that on you, Ethan, he sighed. Not our usual brand of conversation, eh? But do you believe what I said? I asked. Terence frowned. About a ghost? I mean, like you, I've seen things in my time, things I couldn't explain. Do you think the woman I saw could have been... I trailed off. The man's eyes widened with terror as he finally appeared to comprehend my implications hypothesis that seemed to devastate Terrence Brown to his very soul and core. Molly? He whispered. No, it couldn't have been. She spoke your name, I said. She begged you to save her. Save her? He gasped. Do you think I still can? I hung my head dejectedly. Terrence, I don't think she's still alive. What I saw in that room wasn't human. I don't know, Terrence mumbled. Sometimes I I think I see her. Here. As if to affirm the man's point, a rattling noise jolted me upright. The sound, like an old door wrestling with its hinges, 
came from a distant spot. My eyes were immediately drawn to the road outside the coffee shop. And there, standing on the pavement, was a haunting apparition. The woman from the chest of drawers, Molly. I soundlessly screamed as the woman raised a finger to her lips, warning me not to utter a sound. I complied, though my mouth was agape as the dead woman took sinister strides toward a nearby bus stop, vanishing behind it and not re-emerging. Ethan, are you okay? Terence wrenched me from my silent nightmare, and I saw recognition in his eyes. I think he knew what I'd seen. I'm sure the age-old words played on his lips that it looked as if I'd seen a ghost. I'm fine, I eventually lied. I think I better head back home. You do look a little pale, Terence said, nodding. Give my best to Kate, won't you? I smiled and promised to do just that. After shaking the man's head, I strolled home, thinking back on the conversation. There was so much to unpack. My frazzled brain wouldn't complete the mental jigsaw until later. When I arrived home, I was frustrated to see another car in the driveway. The BMW with tinted windows could only belong to one person, Ryan. And when I stormed into my house, that horrifying prospect was confirmed. Dad... Kate quietly said as I found them talking in the kitchen. This is... Ryan. I coldly finished. The young man gulped, extending a shaky hand for me to receive. I unleashed a wicked little grin and pointedly looked at the hand, keeping my own firmly by my side. Then I moved onwards, changing the conversation. Kate, can we talk about the room, I asked. Sure, she replied. But can we do it here? I've just filled in Ryan on what happened the day before yesterday. I squinted disbelievingly. You told him everything? She nodded, and I moved my attention to Ryan, who had finally returned his outstretched hand to his side, wearing a wounded expression on his boyish face. What do you think, Ryan? I asked. A lot of superstitious nonsense? Ryan vehemently shook his head. Uh, no, sir, I believe in that stuff. Kate's no liar. We all aspire to be so honest, don't we, I asked. Ryan gulped, and Kate shook me a look that told me, without need for words, to drop it. Not wanting to upset my daughter, I groaned and begrudgingly obliged. Silently, the three of us walked up to the upstairs landing and eyed the ominous purple door at the far end. This time, I led the way. When I opened the door, finding the room to be much the same as last time, I shuddered at the prospect of reliving those dreadful events again. But I needed answers. I needed to know about the woman, Molly. If Terence couldn't save her, I decided that I could. This is really weird, Ryan whispered. We scoured the room from top to bottom with the window tools. I was partly relieved especially to see that the door wasn't shrinking into the carpet. The lack of answers was disconcerting. If I couldn't save Molly, would her vengeful spirit exact its fury upon me? I trembled at that thought. What's that? Kate asked. My daughter was pointing her quivering index finger at a spot on the wooden floor. One of the boards was slightly damper than the others, and by the looks of it, looser. Good find, I said. 
I knelt on the bedroom floor, inspecting the suspect plank of wood. It required little exertion to prise the board free from the floor. I exhaled deeply upon finding nothing but an empty black hole beneath it. I feared that I would find a body part or something unimaginably macabre. Well? Kate pressed. I smiled. Nothing to worry about, it's just... I yelled in horror as a lifeless hand emerged from the darkness, stretching its bony, emaciated extremities toward me. Before my daughter or Ryan could leap toward me to save me, the fingers had seized a handful of my T-shirt. It tugged, and I inexplicably tumbled into the tiny chasm beneath the floorboard. My body flattened, squeezing through the narrow slit. After a few terrifying moments of screeching in an endless void of blackness, I eventually returned to the mortal realm. Cold, unforgiving concrete smashed into my face, torso, and knees. I cried, nursing numerous aching joints and potential bone fractures. Rolling onto my back, I absorbed my surroundings. Boundlessly bewildered, I failed to grasp how I'd fallen through to the basement basement I didn't even know my house had. Rickety stairs led up to a doorway filled with bricks. The basement had been sealed off from the outside world, and I would soon discover why. On the wall behind me was something that filled me with fright unlike any that can be put into words. I was looking at a purple door. The same purple door as the one on the upstairs landing, and yet this one was so much more tangible. Couldn't quite put my finger on why that was so, but when I placed my hand in the dusty, long, neglected brass handle, I was horrified to see that it did not open onto the room I'd come to know. And then I realized that wasn't true. No bed, no chest of drawers, but I recognized the oak wardrobe. It was rotten and missing its doors, but it was unmistakable. And I finally understood that the bedroom window had always been a basement window, which explained why it had been at such a low level. It was the same room, but I was looking at it in the present day. The real purple room, not the apparition that came and went as it pleased. I realized I'd been stumbling into ghostly flashbacks on the upstairs landing. Molly's ghostly flashback. What happened down here? I whispered. And that was when I saw something in the present-day room which differed from the magical one. There was writing on the wall, scratched into the cream coloring, presumably with a sharp nail, the following words. My name is Molly Brown. I'm going to die down here. Terrence locked me in this room. My heart sank and everything suddenly made sense. Terence's evasiveness. His wife had died down here. The captive of a sadistic tormentor and her husband had sold the town a twisted tale of an unstable woman who ran away. But Molly had finally shown me the truth. Ryan! Kate screamed. I turned to the wardrobe, the source of my daughter's wail, and saw my only exit from dungeon prison. A supernatural gateway from the wardrobe of the real basement room to the false one on the upstairs landing. Kate saw me through the wardrobe and gasped. Dad! 
she cried. Whilst she sobbed, blood staining her skin and clothes, in the corner of the room on the other side of the wardrobe, like a demonic version of Narnia, Terence had pinned Ryan to the floor. There was a twisting of a knife into the boy's shoulder, and the kid was screaming in agony. Without a moment's thought, I flew through the wardrobe doorway and entered the magical upstairs room. My body collided with Terence, and I realized that I had no idea how to fight. I'd never laid a hand on anybody. As we both sprawled across the floor, the snarling man, who was no longer Brown the Clown, loomed above me. Had to go looking for answers, didn't you, he spat. Well, the mystery's been solved. Now you can join Molly, the ungrateful little bitch, beneath the very foundations of this house. Ryan crawled on his back towards Kate, and the two of them, coated in blood, embraced in the corner of the room. My only focus was to keep Terrence away from them. I had to keep his attention fixed on me. I had to stop him. That was when I saw the key to ending that night of horror. Through the wardrobe gateway back in the real basement room, that ghoulish contortionist crawled through the cracks between the floorboards, slinking into a painfully paper-thin form. When she had fully emerged, she bulged into the same corpse-like entity I'd seen two days prior. She stood in the basement, waiting with open arms. I finally understood. Scrambling to my feet, I rugby-tackled Terence toward the wardrobe. When I took a step back, my heart dropped. He had braced himself on either side of the wardrobe, preventing himself from falling through to the basement room. His victorious grin was utterly horrifying. I'll look after Kate when you're gone, Ethan, he said. I'll have a spare room downstairs that I think would be absolutely perfect for. As the malevolent man lunged toward me, I braced for death. But death didn't come. Terence looked down, as I did, and we both saw two ghostly white phantom limbs wrapped around his waist. His eyes grew teary and feverishly fearful. No, he sobbed. Your turn, Molly eerily whispered. The undead apparition hoisted Terence backward he screeched in horror as he disappeared into the basement room. The doors of the wardrobe slammed shut behind him, sealing him in that bricked-up coffin forever. I helped Ryan and Kate out of the upstairs purple room, and the door vanished as soon as we were back on the landing. After ambulances had been called and the day finally wound to a horrifying close, I started to document my events in the closing post. I keep thinking about things I missed, signs that Terence was an abhorrent monster who meant my family harm. Give my best to Kate, won't you? I never mentioned my daughter was visiting. I don't think I even mentioned her name. Anyway, he's rotting away in the basement now. It won't last long down there. The basement doorway is concealed by brickwork and plaster in the ground floor lobby. Nobody will ever I suppose Molly will keep him company. I hope you enjoyed The New Room by Dominic Eagle as performed by yours truly. 
If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash eagle. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash E-A-G-L-E. Fly on over to read more of the Eagle Strikes on Reddit. Be sure to see what else he may be cooking up next. Thanks again for your support of this show and tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the dare, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs, or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Stay tuned, as this season is just getting started. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S 
at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.